The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And so it's time for the Culture Club. I'm delighted we're joined today by the writer and actor Emmett Kerwin. And before we talk about all of his choices, Emmett, thanks for joining us. Tell us all about your new play, Accents, which is going to be in the Dublin Fringe Festival from the 10th of September. It's a new verse play, spoken word play, kind of what some people call spoken word poetry, but um, it's a collaboration with a musical artist called Talos. That's his musical project. Um, He is own French. Um, And it's eight new pieces of writing poems that are being scored to his beautiful music. And it's set 24 hours before the arrival of uh, my son. And it's goes through how people speak, uh, where we're from, sense of identity, the voices that we're given. And it talks about, I suppose, the mythology of becoming a father, about what happens to you and your partner and your wife. And and it's, uh, yeah, it's all scored to incredible music. Was it written in advance of the birth of your son or afterwards? I started writing it three years ago and then COVID happened. So it started off as one thing. Myself and Owen were working together on the project and I think it was something a lot different. It was going to be maybe a play with music that was based on memories about where we come from and stuff. And the theme of Accents was was there. But COVID happened, so it was postponed by 18 months to two years. So when we came back to it two years later... I was a father and that actually changed the entire play. Well, I was going to ask, does that mean that you reinterpret your memories, that you see them in a different context because you somehow feel differently because of your different status in life? That's part of it, yeah, I suppose. Memories, you know, an incredibly inexact science, isn't it? You know, what, the way people remember things and how they can tend to tend to mythologise their own lives and their place space within that to give sense of who they are. You know, we create the narrative of our lives so that our psyches don't, well, we don't go crazy, I suppose. So, yeah, it's probably me wrestling through my writing about the tumultuous kind of time and change and things that have happened to give them, I don't know, some kind of context. Not that they need meaning. Everything has meaning, but I suppose who you are in that point or who you were and how that changes... You know, like you're one person before you have kids and then you're one person after. And I never really understood that at all. Someone said that to me years ago and then I was like, ah. And do you think differently now as a result of being a father? Yeah, definitely. In what way? Mortality is something that I didn't give a lot of thought to, even though I was approaching middle age. But I suppose now there's an urgency to kind of take care of yourself in a way that means... You'd be able to be around and provide, you know. Your responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. Now, so why call the play Accents? I think, not sure. Well, I do I do know why. I think it started off as one thing and I think we were going to call it something that was quite poetic, you know, some sort of Dublin phrase. But I thought that would be a red herring because I wanted to explore um, how accents can mould a person's life especially in places like Ireland and how people often make value judgments on who you are based on how you sound or the idea that intellect and accent are two things that correlate so people might think you are one thing by how you sound and how unfair it is that you know people are asked constantly from a young age to change how they speak and when they enter third level education they're asked to change how they speak in order to get along or they do it because they feel they have to and how that 
changes your life or how actually unfair that is because your accent is essentially, it's indicative of who you are, where you're from, your family, your heritage. And I think those things are important. So I think it's an incredibly sad thing that you're asked to shed those things, shed your identity, shed your family uh, and kind of, I don't know, kind of shift or cast off the old you and become something new and maybe that you didn't want to. You Why, know? have you felt pressure to change or adapt your accent? I think everyone has. I've never felt pressure, but I've noticed there's a thing called accommodation that happens when you're talking to somebody. Look, we're even talking now. And your accent modulates to the person you're speaking to in order to show that you're not a threat. But also, if you like a person, your accent modulates towards them. And actually, sometimes then when you don't like a person... Yeah, you double down, <laughs> your accent becomes stronger. And um, so I think I've not, I, I wouldn't have noticed it unless I became an actor and then spent a lot of time doing like radio plays or even being in situations like this where I have headphones on and I'm talking into a micro microphone and I'm incredibly aware of how I speak. And, um, you know, we all want to be more self-aware in every kind of moment. And I don't know if you, you are all day, every day, but I am aware of how people react to me and my accent if I speak a little bit more how I, uh, you know, what, what my own hometown accent is, you know. Why, are you sort of moderating your accent in this conversation? I'm speaking a lot slower right now in order to be understood. And uh, yeah, that's just to be understood properly, you know. Because funny, I read a piece and you were talking about this and maybe perhaps there would be, as you felt, maybe a bit of a bias and discrimination against Dublin working class accents. Yeah. And I can understand why you said that. But it also has struck me that very often people in Dublin, be they whatever ever class, can be often sort of judgmental of the accents of those from outside of Dublin yeah. who they regard as and have often heard it said, you're nothing but a culture. Yeah, it, it, there is a thing, you know. Accentism is a thing. <laughs> you know, I don't want to add another another thing to the conversation. They go, oh, what's this now? But people do it all the time. You know, we do it to each other and we make judgments. And yeah, I think, you know, and people kind of, I've heard someone recently on the, on the radio giving out about somebody losing their accent. And what I'd say is, whatever your accent is now is an accumulation of the experiences that you've had in your life. It Absolutely. evolves, it changes. So none of us should tell any person that how they speak is incorrect or how they're talking is incorrect. There's no proto-Irish person. No, or make any assumptions. Exactly. You know. So I think whatever your accent is now, maybe you moved from Canada to Ireland, you know, when you were 10 or you moved down to another country and then you went to college in London, you know, it's, it's a mixture of all these different things. So it's a mixture of your rich kind of experiences. So your voice is who you are and people should just get over it. <laughs> Tell us where can people see the play? The play is on for a special preview in Mermaid Arts Centre in Wicklow in Bray uh, from the 3rd of September and then it opens properly in Project Arts Centre on the 10th of September and it runs until the 17th. Let's get to your choices for yeah. Culture Club and you've definitely picked something that has never been suggested to us before as <laughs> oh, the yeah. first single ever purchased. Tell us about it. Rat Rapping by Roland Rat. And I knew, I was like, you could lie here now and you could, you could pretend you're cool. But I was four, I think, three or four and I loved Roland Rat and Kevin the Gerbil and I remembered him and I remember my mother buying me the rap rapping single and I remember actually bringing it to play school and asking could I 
Could, could you, you perform it? No, 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 God, no. I wasn't there yet. It was just like, you know, hey guys, I think this would be a cool idea to listen to rap rapping, you know? And uh, we listened to it and I don't think anyone else got a vibe out of it the way I did, but yeah, so. It's definitely the most original choice we've had. Let's hear a bit of it. Oh no! Come on, King, let's get down to some real rap rapping. Yeah. Yeah, but that probably was number one, was it? I think it was, yeah. It could have been a Christmas <laughs> So you weren't your only, the only person who wanted it? Yeah, you know, I just listened there now. I can't, like, it's like, what? Where, where's Rowland and Rath supposed to be from? Kevin sounds like he's from Liverpool or something. I think they may have been from Manchester. Is it Manchester or something, yeah. Because there was a thing, it was like Morning TV or something was, like that, wasn't yeah. he? And he was on it with, <laughs> with Kevin the Gerbil. Because I actually once worked with the guy whose mother invented Rowland Rath. Oh, really? Yeah. And was it... He made the documentary that I narrated on our visit to North Korea. Really? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's a complete aside, but there is a connection kind of, there. I love okay? that kind of aside, <laughs> to be honest with you, man. It's my uh, kind of thing. I, I love the favourite album that you've picked as well. Somebody who I remember seeing once in concert, and I was really sad, actually, because he was well buckled with the alcohol right. by the time he came on stage, and he had awful problems with alcohol. But when he sang and played music, John Martin was... Magnificent. Incredible. Yeah. I seen him in Limerick as well and he had to be, I think he'd lost his leg at that stage and he had to yeah. be brought on. And, um, but I just, I was in, I was doing a show, it was about 20 years ago and an older actor, I was living in a house with him and we were working with a, a theatre company called Island Theatre Company and he introduced him to me. Um, there was a BBC documentary on, this was in my early 20s and I wouldn't have really known unless, you know, and uh, someone had introduced him to me and we watched the BBC documentary. He was living in Ireland at the time and then he was coming to Limerick. So I went down, this is CD's time, I would have bought Island Records, they did an anthology and and then I was going through the different albums and I was really struck by the fact that in the 60s he sounded like a, a particular type of singer. Um, but he came from a folk music folk, tradition yeah, background. From tradition. Kind of, that kind of Scarborough affair. Yeah. Like spoke in a very kind of polite, kind of soft English sounding accent and then he just evolved, I think it was alcohol and drugs and this sound developed where he started sounding like bluesgrass soul singers from the 1930s his speech almost became slurred and the entire album was 10 songs it's incredible I was watching a film actually an Irish film called Titanic Town and I only copped on as the credits rolled that there was no other song in the soundtrack other than Solid Air they'd soundtracked the whole film to the, to the album and I think it's probably a, I'm obviously grew up after the album came out but I think people maybe in the 70s it was a big influence yeah, on them. the album Solid Air let's hear a little bit of Dreams by the Sea no, 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 no,
back to listen to John Martin again I haven't heard him for a while what a voice yeah amazing. what music incredible the whole lot yeah as, as an album like each song and there's there's no filler that's the thing okay favourite band you've gone for very much a 90s thing I'd imagine when you were growing up Oasis yeah I mean I think it's people would probably find it quite uncool to say that Oasis was their band but they were they released um, definitely maybe when I was 14 and um, what's the story Morning Glory when I was 15 and you know, so my entire kind of teen years, 25 years ago, this month actually, then they released Be Here Now. So it, it was a huge sound kind of of when I was growing up and I went to see them all the time. So I suppose I just had a lot of happy memories. Um, you know, first time going to Cork to see them in Parking Cueve, like a busload of friends, you know. And that's always really great, you know, summer of 96. Let's hear a little bit of Don't Look Back in Anger. Slip inside the eye of your mind Don't you know But I would you also have Gangstar down as one of your favourites. Yeah, um, Guru uh, from Gangstar was the he was the MC and DJ Premier. He's the DJ and producer and a lot of big kind of sounds from the like nineteen nineties uh, and modern pop songs. Then in the two thousands would have been produced by DJ Premier. But their albums, they're they're one of the greatest uh, hip hop bands of all time from Boston, actually not the traditional centre of hip hop in America, and. Um, Guru is one of the best lyricists there is. They released the greatest hits album uh, called Full Clip in 1999, but they also had four or five singles on that that were some of the best hip hop tracks ever released. You gave us such your best gig, one that you saw on Andrews Lane back in 2008, M83. M83, uh, uh, dance, well, I don't know, that's probably limiting. Electronic duo uh, who make incredible albums. Each album is different. Around that time, they'd release one um, that each one has a different theme a different sound it was as if it was a soundtrack to an 80s high school movie that didn't exist that's kind of what they do they did the soundtrack to a Tom Cruise movie called Oblivion they they change with each album um, they usually play stadiums but obviously Andrews Lane's only a small venue so that was incredible to see them there and it was brilliant let's hear a little bit from that year not from Andrews Lane but from Philadelphia 
1983 there Emmett Kerwin's choice as best gig you've got to go to movies Emmett and you've picked a movie that I remember well from the time of the end of my time in college late 1980s Robocop Paul Verhoeven why does that still stand out for you? Uh, I think it's not that it's a misunderstood film but I think it's often dismissed just as this you know it is a ridiculous film. It's quite. Uh, it's great fun. It, but it's brilliant. It is incredible. And only, I think, a person who wasn't from America could make it because it's lampooning all the various things of America in the 1980s, corporatism, um, you know, privatisation of everything, even including the police force, uh, insane game shows, insane people who are on television, the prevalence of advertising, you know, it's brilliant. It could be any decade since. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hyper, almost, it's it turned up to 90. And um, But it's an incredibly sad film as well, you know, about a man who's, uh, you know, he's, he's trapped inside uh, its body horror. He's trapped inside a machine and can't get out, you know. It's kind of like The Matrix, but given, you know, reverse Matrix or whatever. Um, but it's, it's a brilliant film. It's really heartbreaking and it's an incredible action film. And Kurt Wood Smith, who plays the, the villain in it, is, he, he played the da in the 70s show. Totally out of character. He always plays these really nice kind of men or, um, previous to that, but then he got cast as this incredible villain. And was terrific in He's it. He's incredible in it. We have a clip when Robocop, played by Peter Weller, intervenes in a gas station robbery and comes across one of the criminals who had ended his old life. Hey, man. What you reading in there? <laughs> you a college boy or something? Huh? I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? Think you can outsmart a bullet? What do you say we find out, huh? I'm talking to you, what do you say? Huh? Huh? I'm talking to you! Drop it. That are alive, you are coming with me. I know you. You're dead. We killed you! We killed you! We killed you! Who are you? Who are you? Robocop. You also have another movie, and I'm sure many of our listeners have seen Parasite, which was an Oscar winner. But you've picked another Korean movie by the same director. Yeah, it came out 20 years ago. Same lead actor as well. It's about a serial killer in a small town, a farming agrarian place in, in, in Korea. And a big city cop comes to the town, has to deal with the local police officer. And it's kind of about a battle between the two of them. But it's an incredibly beautiful film. Memories of murder. Memories it's of murder. Yeah, but it, but about subject matter, which is quite tough, and it doesn't end, or the the story doesn't actually roll out the way you would expect it to. I think if it was an American film, it would have been very different. Um, but it's beautifully shot, br- brilliantly acted, and um, you know if you don't know much about Korean culture, it, it can seem quite strange. But it's it's really great, really fascinating film. Okay, what's your play that you picked for us? How uh, We Rookie by Marco Rowe. Um, again, it's kind of something you know. You know, they say the things that you, the things you see or experience when you're a teenager, the things that leave that kind of indelible print on who you are. Uh, so I seen this when I was eighteen on stage, and Mark is an incredible writer. He's from same hometown, and the two actors were 
brilliant and it really showed me what theatre could be, what you could do on a stage, how you could tell a story on stage that you can't tell in a book or in a film. And um, yeah, it really had a, a profound effect on me. Let's have a clip from it in which uh, it's performed by Tom Vaughan Lawler. A green high ace van pulls in the car park. Flandingle and Ginger Boy jump out. Flandingle's fat and sweaty. Ginger Boy short, ginger hair, red enough it could stop traffic. All right, lads, we know them. In they go, the vendetta. New release, action, adventure, out they come. John Woo, last hurrah for chivalry. Ask us if we want to come down a mercy loop. Mile and a half, snake and road. Watch Ginger Boy soar from the roof. Peaches doesn't. He's not in the best. Wants to conserve his strength for battering the rookie. Well, do you mind waiting the Peaches? Cause he doesn't. You spot the rookie, keep him talking. Be back in a quick. Ginger Boy gets on the roof and shouts, Punch it, Flantingle! And vamanoosh down the mercy. We hang out the side door looking up at Ginger Boy. What do you think, ass Flan? All perspiry behind the wheel. Very good, we say. Our heads all windswept. Very good. Funny things, we're probably in a more dangerous position than Ginger Boy. Two of us hanging out the side door, swerved to avoid a one, two, three bus, trying to get an eyeful of the little fuck, Dyson with a flattenum. Bottom of the loop hang a you. Ginger boy grabbing the roof rack for dear life and back up we go. This time sitting inside the van instead of hanging out the side door. Two tick monkeys. But we're tick monkeys for getting the van in the first place. We're trying not to wretch because sweaty flandingles the essence of stench. Okay, Tom Von Lawler there from Howie the Rookie by Marco Rowe. Favourite book? You've gone for John Updike's Rabbit Run. Again, something I read. I, st- I read the rabbit books when I was in my early 20s and... Uh, it's really stuck with me. Um, Why is that? What are they, just for people who are not oh, familiar sorry, with uh, them? So, they started out, I think, th- Updike started, started writing Rabbit Run as a response to On the Road. He was struck by the idea that people leave Jack Kerouac's, Jack Kerouac's uh, On the Road. The, the idea of that generation and the beat writers, beat poets and um, beat generation, how they could just kind of up sticks and leave when they had responsibilities at home. But they never actually talked about what would happen in the aftermath of that. So the story is about a failed former ba- high school basketball star called Rabbit, Harry Angstrom, who is now 26, living above a shop and he has a child and another child on the way and he just one night decides to leave. And he moves into the town, the city centre of this town, uh, a fictional town called Brewer and shacks up with a lady. And the fallout that happens from this life decision and he's a person who cares little for others and as the books progressed there's Rabbit Run and Rabbit Redux Rabbit is Rich and then Rabbit at Rest they happen at the turn of each decade late 50s 60s 70s and 80s and Rabbit becomes this symbol of America or what America is at that time or what's happening in America at the time not it's, it's it, it's beautiful. It's all beautifully written, and the way of like form sentences. It's quite, it's quite a tough read. Like even, you know, the, the the depictions of sex are actually quite hard to kind of read. You know what I mean? It's it's a bit. It's, there's nothing pretty about it, you know, or any of the stories. Um, he doesn't stress anything up. But we it's, have um, an audio extract from one of the audio books. Boys are playing basketball around a telephone pole with a backboard bolted to it. The scrape and snap of keds on loose alley pebbles seems to catapult their voices high into the moist March air. Rabbit Angstrom, coming up the alley in a business suit, stops and watches. 
though he's 26 and 6'3". So tall, he seems an unlikely rabbit. But the breadth of white face, the pallor of his blue irises, and a nervous flutter under his brief nose as he stabs a cigarette into his mouth, partially explain the nickname. His standing there makes the real boys feel strange. It seems funny to them. An adult walking up the alley at all. There are six of them, and one of him. The ball, rocketing off the crotch of the rim, leaps over the heads of the six and lands at the feet of the one. He catches it on the short bounce with a quickness that startles them. Then the ball seems to ride up the right lapel of his coat and comes off his shoulder as his knees dip down. It drops into the circle of the rim, whipping the net with a ladylike whisper. Hey! He shouts in pride. Okay if I play? That's from Rabbit Run by John Updike. Okay, we're getting close to the end, so I'm a nominated television programme for us. Oh, nominated a television programme that I watched. Sorry. Yeah, when you were young, oh. it still sticks with you. So, this is an odd one, and I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Space Above and Beyond, and it lasted for one season, and it was made by the uh, the, the creators of The X-Files. It was like their new show. And oh, I was kind of obsessed with it when I was a teenager. i just never seen anything like it. And... It's set in the near future and it's based around uh, a, a war with an alien species, a kind of unknown, never really seen alien species. And there's things about... It, it was one of the first kind of... Because it was prior to the so-called golden age of television where they had weekly um, serialised storytelling spread out over a whole series. Yeah. They created an entire world. There was clones that lived in it and there was people, you know, the politics of it. It was an incredibly fully realised world in a way that you didn't actually see in television for about another 10, 15 years. We actually have a clip and this well, is where T.C. McQueen, played by James Morrison, delivers a motivational speech to the wild cards, an ill-prepared group of Marines preparing for intergalactic battle. Great. Honour, dedication, sacrifice. These are just the words they used to get you here. Now the only word that means a damn to you is life. Yours, your buddies. The one certainty in war is that in an hour, maybe two, you'll either still be alive or you'll be dead. For the next hour, here's your best chance of staying alive. The Trojan asteroid belt trails Jupiter's orbit. Our objective is to hide in the debris this may be as difficult as engaging the enemy. You're going to have to react to the pitch and yaw of the asteroids in order to keep out of sight, shielded from LIDAR. Your goal is to stall them. Our forces at Groombridge 34 have doubled back and are right now passing through the Kali wormhole. If we successfully delay the enemy, we'll have reinforcements appearing from behind them and out of the sun. And that's when we teach them something every human knows. Payback's a bitch. One more thing. It's okay to be scared. I'll see you in an hour. I mean, you didn't give us any modern day television. Do you not watch much? I did. What, what's the recent thing I've seen? The Offer? It's oh, a, that about yeah. the on Paramount Plus, which yeah. is about the story of how The Godfather was made. I, was, I thought it was great. It, it was great. great. Peter out a little bit towards yeah. the end. 
but up to then it was absolutely terrific. And it didn't get like it mixed reviews, but I think the the good reviews I read of it was like, yeah, you got it. But I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really well acted as well. It was terrifically yeah, acted, yeah. 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 Uh, listen, we're almost out of time. So you gave us three cultural buried treasures and we only had time to talk about what I listed three and you could pick one to talk about. You have a Catherine Bigelow film near dark. You have the TV miniseries from 2003, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And you have the Irish painter Dave Booth. Just talk to me about one of those in the time we've left. Well, I'll talk about uh, Dave Booth. He's he, he, he's very, very well known, I should say. And uh, he's an incredible uh, artist and painter. And I think if uh, if you're listening, yeah, you should check out his work. He's Where brilliant. would you find it? Um, I think he actually has a, a, a portrait that's been accepted Emma, I have to like, better double check that, uh, that that that's on show, but you can find him on his website. And is there a mainly portrait work he does? He does it well at the moment, I think so, but it's various different things. But there's some like the pieces that he's done about his travels and pieces that he does. Uh, you know, a lot of the people, humans are, are the main subject of his. Of his All work. right. Look, we're out of time, so we have to leave it there. Emma Kerwin, thank you very much for joining us here for the Culture Club on The Last Word in Today FM. And best of luck with your new play, Accents, which starts at the Dublin Fringe Festival uh, at the starting from the 10th to 7th of September at the Project Arts Centre. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.